2023 is here and it's time to plan out your goals to get in the shape of your life this year. Maybe you started your journey this past year or maybe you're looking to make 2023 the year you get the results you've always dreamed of. And if you are, I want to help you. I've been a health and fitness coach for almost a decade now. I've helped thousands of people often online get in the shape of their life and drop the kilos they've been wanting to shed for years. I've helped people transform their bodies, their health, and their minds. And most importantly, I've shown them how they can maintain this on a long-term basis. As your coach, I take care of everything within your health and fitness journey, your training, your nutrition, your cardio, supplementation, etc. But I also look at your journey from a holistic perspective and address your stress, your sleep, your mindset, and ensure you have everything you need to achieve your results. If you're ready to make this the year you get the results you truly want, fill in the application form in the description below. It'll only take you two minutes and I'll be in touch for us to book in a call so we can plan out your journey and put some clear goals in place. If you have any questions about the coaching, feel free to email me or DM me on Instagram, which is at Elliot Hassoon. I'm excited to hear from you and excited to help you transform your body, health, and mind in 2023. Hello team and welcome to episode 329 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Julia Rucklidge. Julia is a professor of psychology, a director of the Mental Health and Nutrition Research Group at the University of Canterbury and co-author of The Better Brain. Julia has been researching the link between mental health conditions and nutrition for over a decade and how using nutrients can be a genuine and viable cure for mental illness. This was a super interesting conversation that really emphasized the importance of our nutrition and why the traditional route of going for pills and antidepressants may not be the best approach. In this episode, you can expect to learn why Julia believes that nutrition and supplementation can be a cure for mental illness, the issue of pharmaceuticals and why taking them on a long-term basis may not be the best idea, along with how we can adjust our diets to support our mental well-being. So without further ado, Julia Rutledge. Julia Rutledge, thank you for being here today. How are you? I'm very well. It's my pleasure and I'm delighted to be able to do this podcast with you. Yeah, I appreciate you making the effort. For those who have just tuned in, we were having a conversation just beforehand before we hit record on you currently being in Rome on a bit of a European excursion all the way from New Zealand. How's the trip going so far for you? Um, So actually really amazing. I spent today in the Vatican and in St. Peter's um, Basilica, which was just stunning and Particularly, I took the, you can walk all the way up to the top. I don't know if you did that when you were here. And that just blew me away. Absolutely blew me away. So they really know how to, how to build things here. In, in Rome. And so. their architecture stands the test of time as well, right? Oh, I know. Well, I was up there thinking, well, you know, this doesn't feel really that super comfortable walking around the, just in the inside of that dome. But I figure, well, it's been up here. It's been, I think it must be five, 500 years old. So uh, it would have fallen by now. So, so. You would have thought so, but, right? So. But not the kind of place you'd want to go if you had a fear of heights, that's for sure. 
Absolutely. But I'm pretty sure the views were spectacular as well. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was yeah, a really fantastic get day. Amazing. So I came across you recently and I was absolutely fascinated by the work that you do. And I want to give some context to the listeners before we dive into today's conversation. So who are you, Julia? Ah, okay. So who am I? So I'm a professor of clinical psychology. I'm a clinical psychologist by training. Um, I did my training at the University of Calgary in Alberta, Canada in the, I finished my PhD in the late 1990s. When I was doing my training though, uh, my PhD supervisor, Professor Bonnie Kaplan, who I co-wrote The Better Brain with, and I, I'm, I assume we're going to talk about that, um, a little bit. So when, when I, when I was doing her, my PhD, she was approached by some families from Southern Alberta, Canada, who were using nutrients, vitamins and minerals and, um, what we call, we collectively call micronutrients to treat very serious psychiatric problems like bipolar disorder, which is that, the, you know, the ups and downs of mood, but, you know, serious swings in mood, uh, uh, psychosis, uh, depression. Um, these are all uh, psychiatric conditions that by then in my training, I had been taught that only psychotherapy or medications could treat these very serious conditions. And so to hear that nutrition could alleviate the suffering associated with these problems uh, was uh, uh, quite unbelievable. And you, I guess you, you kind of think, well, if nutrition could treat these conditions, we would have known this by now. So, um, but she's, she uh, was, after... Uh, you know, at first saying, no, that's just snake oil, take it away. She had decided to do some preliminary uh, clinical trials and they were finished and published in the early part of the century. And so she showed people, uh, documented people getting well and staying well with micronutrients and people who had bipolar disorder. That was her first clinical trial that she did. So I was intrigued. I trust Bonnie. She is a remarkable individual and a fantastic researcher. And if she says to, you know, she said to me, Julia, you really should study this. Um, I, you know, well, at first I was kind of thinking, well, I'm a clinical psychologist, not a nutritionist, not a psychiatrist, um, not a dietitian. This really is outside of my area of expertise, but it wasn't long into moving it to New Zealand and, um, where I acknowledged that you get to this point you, when you when you start a career, you think that it's going to help everybody. And then after a while, you realize, well, actually, there's limitations. And yes, people get well with medications. Yes, people get well with psychotherapy. They can save lives. What you, you soon learn is that many people continue to suffer. And so as scientists, we really have to... Um, be the what I call the critics and conscious of society in that we need to study new ideas that come along, even if they contravene our current way of thinking. And the current way of thinking is was definitely back then was that nutrition was irrelevant to the brain. Even saying that now, I just think, God, how how naive, how, how great, you know, just um, not even naive, but just obnoxiously ignorant um, the, the professions are to really a phenomenal, um, and so important and vital, uh, component of our health and to teach so broadly that it's irrelevant really is a disservice to the importance of nutrition for our overall brain health. So 
does that give you a bit of a background? So I'm, I fell into this. I started doing clinical trials in 2006, 2007, and I haven't moved away from this area yet because it's been uh, so interesting, so um, remarkable in terms of the benefits for some people. Not everybody changes with nutrients, but we've had just such a really stunning success stories in our research that it, it really is vital that I keep doing this work because to be honest, there aren't a lot of people in the world who are doing this work. So I guess I feel like um, I kind of need to stay in here until enough uh, other academics sort of pick up the baton and and take on, take it on and continue to do some of the work that I've been um, engaged in until now. So what's the long-term vision and the long-term goal on that note? Would it be a position where physicians and GPs are not rushing to refer someone to a therapist or to prescribe them SSRIs, for example, but to instead go down the route of nutrition. Is that ultimately the end goal for you? And obviously, when you do pass that baton on to the younger scholars who are going to take that on and try and, you know, basically carry that torch forward. Yeah, no, I think that would be amazing if we can get it to the point where uh, those who have the greatest power over uh, treatment of psychiatric problems uh, really embrace uh, nutrition first before they reach for the prescription pad for a medication. It's, um, you know, when I, I, I did my first degree in neurobiology in the late 1980s and Back then, Prozac had just come out, 1987. And it was a time of great hope that we had found uh, some amazing solutions for some really serious and debilitating conditions. Um, and so, and the, the story that there were these chemical imbalances was intriguing. It was, um, it captured the imagination of so many people back then and researchers. And so we, we ended up investing an enormous amount of money and patient, uh, you know, resources to exploring this, you know, what looked like an amazing discovery, which was that all you have to do is correct what's going on. Um, in terms of the in the neurochemistry change what's happening at the synaptic level uh, add a drug in there increase your serotonin or increase your dopamine or whatever the specific drug does and presto you can cure psychiatric disease so I want to acknowledge that that's that was a time of great hope and um, and it did make and it did make a difference for many people and it did enable some people to come out of the psychiatric hospital so i don't want to say that it was it hasn't been of benefit to some but i just think that um we ended up as a consequence of that completely forgetting and it really is a forgetting the importance of nutrition and what i think it would be it's really important for your listeners and maybe they already know this i have i don't know i don't i, I don't know what you go into but um but to sort of acknowledge that the same time that this is happening we have a enormous change in our food environment 
And so you've got this perfect storm where you've got the rise of the pharmaceutical, you've got an unbelievable change in our food environment and a distraction that what happened with the food environment was that we depleted the essential nutrients that are important for brain and body health. So we, 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 we've had this really substantial changes in a very, very short period of time. And so sort of to go back to answering, hopefully answering your question, um, is that we've, we, um, embraced a, a treatment, didn't turn out to be as effective as we hoped. Sadly, unfortunately, and it's coming out over the last few years, is that antidepressants, for example, which are 20% of the adult population are probably taking an antidepressant, um, are, are a little better than placebo. Slightly better than placebo, but not much. Um, and they, unfortunately, on top of that, they come with the, some serious side effects for some people and problems with withdrawal. So we've learned that over the last 30 years, that there are some serious downsides to these medications that we need to acknowledge and that it, and, and patients need to know that it wasn't a chemical imbalance necessarily that they had and that story, there's problems with it, et cetera, et cetera. So, but I'm not here to, to be negative about that. Um, so to then... Um, so we, we had these treatments, they didn't, they haven't been as successful as he hoped. And then uh, alongside that, the change in the, in the food environment that now we can, we can look at this and go, what I'd love to see us as the conversation to be about is that what in the world happened that we lost sight of how important it is to be consuming vitamins and minerals in our food. If we talk about the food environment and you just that hope that you, you just expressed around, can we go to a place where maybe we start talking about the food environment first? Absolutely. That, that would be such a fundamental change and shift in how we treat psychiatric disorders. And so if I talk about the research that I've been doing, which is where I have been studying vitamins and minerals in a pill form, um, so where we give people capsules and, and vitamins and minerals in, a, uh, in doses that are much higher than what you typically get from your supermarket variety of, of pills. So when people hear about my work, it's important that they don't think, okay, I'll just go to a supermarket, buy the latest multi and think that you're going to be able to replicate the findings that we have published. Absolutely, probably not because the big difference between what we've been doing and what you get out of a supermarket is that the doses are much higher. And that's a really essential part of the, the probably the efficacy of the treatment is got to do with that dose difference. And so just to give you a sense of the dose difference, we're usually in our clinical trials giving people up to 12 pills to take a day. That's four, three times, four, three times a day, as opposed to your one, one a day multi. Um, this is not dangerous. People can think that, it, you know, taking 12 pills of, of, uh, um, uh, uh, of vitamins and minerals is dangerous. That's because we've kind of been led down a, a, a route where we think that the recommended dietary allowance is sort of all you need, whereas that's a outdated concept. Um, it's based on physical health, not brain health. 
and we know that the brain is the most hungriest organ of the body and it needs more nutrients than what you um, say your heart might need or your, your bones might need, which is what we're sort of the metrics that were used for developing the RDA. Sorry, we're going, I really am all over the place at the moment. We can kind of summarize that first aspect in the sense of, I guess that's the biggest battle you face just to get back to the very part of what you said in the sense that you are flying the flag for nutrients and nutrition being the cure here, but it's not as if you're just trying to raise awareness to a super receptive audience. You've got pharmaceutical companies battling to, you know, find the next Prozac that actually works. You've got food companies. Uh, yeah, it's debatable to call them food companies, but you know, certain companies that manufacture things that look like food, which are taking and stripping away the quality of nutrition to create foods that are, you know, addictive to some sense that are, you know, quote unquote, delicious to some sense to many people and also cheap and accessible. So it's not only that you're just flying your flag, you're also doing that. So that's going to be the biggest challenge. And then the second aspect of that is that it's not only about obviously getting this into GPs and physicians. It's also if you ask someone, you know, do you want to take this revelatory change in your nutrition or do you want to take a pill like most people are going to take the pill right and i think that that's where like a lot of these big challenges come in and and, you know ultimately it's a big battle but i think like you mentioned raising the awareness showing the examples of this and then also making sure that people get the right guidance i think a good example was i was home maybe some months ago actually and my mom was saying that my dad needed to take vitamin d or something along those lines and i was like how many pills is he taking and she was just like just one i think i had like 500 iu and i was like that's not even going to scratch the surface you know and yeah it won't even scratch the surface and then if you actually read into some of the literature and you see that okay the upper limit of what is safe is ten thousand iu per day and everyone's like well i can't be possibly taking you know 14 of these pills i'm like well you shouldn't be getting them from the supermarket because if you actually get it from somewhere that's viable then it's going to be four thousand iu as one pill for example so you know there's a lot of challenges to face there but the question I want to come to off the back of that is why is there such a big pushback to this? Because when we think about diabetes, we understand the link in nutrition. When we understand heart disease, we understand the link of nutrition. Why is it when it comes to the brain that we're very ignorant about thinking that our nutrition can have such an impact? I know. I know. It's a good question. And I, I think about it. You can imagine I've thought about that a lot over the last 15 years. Why is there so much resistance? Because I didn't expect it. When I first started doing this research, I thought, Um, you know, here's Bonnie telling me about these, these families who are getting well. Um, she couldn't do the clinical trials in Canada for various reasons, but it's got to do with probably put, um, the pharmaceutical uh, industry having an impact on Health Canada, who shut down the clinical trials that she was doing over there. So here, here I moved, just moved to New Zealand from Canada and, um, very much under it, New Zealand is very much under the radar for the pharmaceutical industry. There, it's a you know population of five million. Uh, we are not a big player. So I was able to start and do clinical trials for a long time before I got noticed, which was fantastic uh, in terms of being able to cu- publish a lot of data. And then suddenly there was like this kind of awareness. Oh my God, she's doing research. There's benefit. Uh oh, that kind of means that these vitamins and minerals are therapeutic, which makes them drugs, which is complicated. And you know, I don't know how much you want to go into the whole problems with, with the, with the regulation of super supplements. But when you're talking about how the, the, your dad was taking 500 IUs, uh, that's partly because 
it, there's there's this um, there are regulations around how high those the the dose can be in something that's sold over the supermarket, and so that that's also led the population to think that taking four thousand IUs must be dangerous. It's going to harm you, and so there's a there's so much stuff that has to be corrected. There's so many misconceptions and misunderstandings that some people have really benefited from. Um, the fact that, you know, that people are fearful of taking high, higher than, say, RDA. Um, cause they, you know, people do benefit, you know, there are, indus there's industries that benefit from the, those, um, mis the misleading of the public, let's say. So, um, so why is there so much, uh, so much resistance? I think there's, there's the, the, maybe partly it might just be if we're, if I'm being kind, if I'm on a kind day, it's that, uh, people think that you, you get your nutrients out of your food. We're constantly being told that just eat a good diet. And so, and, and that then you'll be fine. Um, and you'll get your nutrients out of your diet. And so this idea that, uh, there are different types of diets and sort of acknowledging, as you were alluding to, that we were eating foods that don't resemble the foods that our ancestors ate or even as far back, you know, as my grandmother would have eaten, that the, the food environment has changed really, really dramatically. And the most important key thing that I think has happened to the food environment, I know you, you talked about sugar and yeah, that's important and the increase in sugar and it, the foods being more addictive. But another really important thing that has happened to the food environment is that there's the, there's been a massive decrease in the availability of vitamins and minerals. And so why should anybody care about these vitamins and minerals? And the reason why you should care about it is because they're essential, absolutely essential for everything that's going on in your body. So if you think about the manufacture of serotonin, a very important mood regulator, you need the presence of vitamins and minerals in order to support the manufacture of that particular neurotransmitter. So, you know, from conversion of say tryptophan to serotonin, you need cofactors, you need enzyme, an enzyme that your body makes, but you also need cofactors and those cofactors support the enzyme. And those are vitamins and minerals. Make, um, making things like, uh, meth, uh, Methyl groups, which are important for regulation of your DNA, turning genes on and off, making those methyl groups is support, is reliant on the methylation cycle, which is totally requires vitamins and minerals to be present to keep that cycle going. So your mitochondria, which is the powerhouses of your cells, they require the presence of vitamins and minerals. And what's really important, Elliot, is that there's no special nutrient. There's no one nutrient. So when I hear about people taking one nutrient, like just vitamin D, like you've just alluded to, I would say, well, yeah, vitamin D is important, but vitamin D does need the presence of other nutrients in order to support what it does. So, and, and so I do really try to encourage people to move away from this single nutrient, um, uh, pursuit, uh, to, uh, thinking that, recognizing and understanding that it, when it comes to the biochemistry, they are all required. So that is probably the, the, the uniqueness of the research that I've been doing is that it's not on a single nutrient, which much of the research up until, up until the last, say, 15 years has been on this pursuit of one special nutrient that's going to treat a really serious and complex psychiatric disorder. It just doesn't exist. 
with a, some very, very few exceptions. So the, really the, probably the what's I think unique and different about the research that I've been doing is that we're not, we're looking at the broad spectrum of all the nutrients, giving them all together in balance and in doses that we think are, are probably more applicable to what the brain needs. Um, and I, th and, and that's probably why we've been so successful with the, this, the research that I've been doing and, and as well as others, I'm not the only one who's doing this. Yeah. I was going to say the main issue and conflict that we're probably finding is that there's conflicting interests, right? There's people on the one hand who want to provide what's genuinely good for the public. And then there's other people, maybe not people, you actually corrected your word from people to industries who are maybe looking for what's best for their profits rather than the people. And maybe that's probably why there's been so push, so much pushback to accept it. Obviously, it's probably also a little bit later down the line as well. Maybe, yeah, maybe there's been more focus on diabetes and there's been more focus. Well, obviously there's insulin, so <laughs> and another ph pharmaceutical cure to that. And then there's obviously medications that you go into the heart and everything along those lines. So it does make a lot of sense from that perspective, but it is very much seeming like once you kind of open your eyes a little bit wider that you can start to see that there might be more to this than just what is being prescribed by companies who make profit. So coming into that, nutrition obviously plays a major role as we've already alluded to. And I want to go on a very practical level, but I also want to go on a broad level too, because quite often when we get advice on how to optimize our health, all of a sudden it means that we're starting to pay a lot more money, which a lot of people are very resistant to. And we're also having to find very esoteric ways of getting certain nutrients into our system or sleeping in the most optimal way. We have to buy, you know, the latest 300 pound aura ring to make sure we track and have the best possible sleep. So what I want to do is go for what you would recommend in terms of nutrition, like in terms of what the best diet is. And for those who are maybe not super willing to invest, like what practical things can we implement if not even if we're having mental health challenges, but even if we just want to improve the quality of nutrition, or if we're noticing we are having mental health challenges and we want to try to help ourselves out a little. Sure. Okay. All right. So um, you reminded me where I was going, which was that, uh, <laughs> that I was talking about some of the resistance and this idea that, you know, if you just eat a good diet, then you'll be fine. Um, and so, uh, and then just talking about my research that I've done with the vitamins and minerals, but what the reason why it's been, and I will get to your question, I hope, <laughs> I hope so, um, I will get there, uh, is that the, the giving them in the pill form and showing that we, we treated, say, for example, people got better with ADHD or depression, anxiety, stress, etc was showing that the the diet, this idea that we're eating a healthy diet, um, if we really were eating a healthy diet, then I shouldn't have had any, we shouldn't have had any effect with our research. And so that, you know, when I was talking about that pushback of, well, if you just eat a healthy diet, you don't need additional nutrients. And so there was so much skepticism that additional nutrients could could have such a powerful effect. You have to then start to say, well, actually, our diet is suboptimal. And and that's what I was talking about with the change in the food environment is that we are now eating foods that are stripped of their vitamins and minerals. We're eating foods that our grandmothers wouldn't recognize as food. We're eating all these things that are we call them ultra processed products. And they're things where the nutrients have been stripped out of them and then things have been added in like the sugar or the you know, well, yeah, mostly sugar and high carb um, foods and the fat has been taken out. And so there's just this, this um, medley of, of, of new, of, of uh, products that we're eating. Chemical that simply Chemical soups, exactly. Chemical soups that we're eating 
that are not providing our brain with, with those essential nutrients. So going to the, the, the research showing the vitamins and minerals actually is proof of concept that our food environment is a mismatch for what our brain needs. And so answering your question around, well, what are some, some, some takeaways from the research? It's that absolutely the bottom line, first thing that anyone can do is reduce or eliminate at best, but at least reduce and save it for those very special occasions when all you want is a really good taste hit. Um, like some of the gelato in, you know, that is in Rome that I haven't yet had because it's freezing here. But, you know, that kind of taste hit where that would be, you know, just enjoy it because it tastes really good, but you're not eating it for the nutritional value. So you reduce your, your consumption of your ultra processed products. Those are the chemical soups, the things that are in packets, packets, hopefully your listeners know what they, what we're talking about. They have lots of numbers on them. They've got emulsifiers, they've got preservatives, they've got colors and flavors, et cetera, that have been added to them and, and eat your real foods. Most of the research is on that has been shown to be beneficial for brain health is on the Mediterranean diet. So voila, I am out there eating the, the, the Mediterranean diet at the moment, indulging in it. Um, and, and that is essentially high in your fruits and vegetables, um, high in your healthy fats. Goodness, they love their olive oil here. Um, your, uh, your nuts, your legumes, um, and low in your ultra processed products, your takeaways, your sugary drinks, etc. So, and a little bit of red wine. And I've got to again say, just goodness, do they have good red wine here in Italy? <laughs> so, by that moderation, a glass with your meal, that would be part of your Mediterranean diet. So, um, so that's that would be the uh, really the first big thing to take away is is that low-hanging fruit is reducing your consumption of ultra-processed products. It doesn't have to be complicated. Uh, there's there's a lot of talk, you know, if you go on the internet about uh, and ask about diet, you can get a thousand different uh, recommendations around the things that you can do. Ve vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, breatharian, um, carnivore, uh, keto, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there may be some benefits of each of those different types of diets for certain people, but really it's kind of, I, I find it's like a, um, it, it really blurs and confuses the landscape because really what we need to be doing as a population is reducing our intake of ultra processed products. And the reason why I'm so focused on that is that the population data show that half of the calories that we consume are coming from ultra processed products or even more. I think the latest data for children and adolescents was like 67% of the calories were coming from ultra processed products in the US. So in an American population. So it's enor an enormous amount of the, of our food that people are, com are consuming now is ultra processed variety. So that's why I think we should really be focusing on that first. If that doesn't work, and that's what my research shows, is that basically we're devoid of taking these vitamins and minerals, and, and you start to look at the diet, and you go, of course, there's no no surprise here. People aren't eating them. They're not consuming them. So therefore, the proof of the, the what the research is saying is that we've really got to clean up the diet of everybody. So, and then if that does, as I said, if that doesn't work, then maybe you do need to eliminate something like gluten or 
or dairy or some other things that may you may be allergic to or may be contributing to you know poor gut health etc so you can then go down that route but the first the first um, message I would say to your listeners is that increase your intake of uh, vegetables and your fruit Uh, again at the population level something like 17 only 17 percent of of population actually hit five they're five a day which is really a minimum so and it depends if you're male or female and depends on your age group um etc but that's a, a an absolutely horrific statistic so that's why i think we can really do a lot by just increasing those intake of those real whole foods and decrease the intake of the ultra processed products does that did i answer your question <laughs> i hope i did it no you gave us some good takeaways there and i obviously think the first one is just to reduce the ultra processed foods and i think that we all pretty much know what they are and as you mentioned that 60 percent it was it was 60 percent, right it's pretty alarming stat in terms of how much of the daily calorie consumption is through that amount of food so as a massive first step and then obviously the second is just to increase the fruits and veg and the whole foods generally and i think that that's a great opportunity right for every bit of ultra processed foods you take out it's not a case of just taking it out and replacing it with you know something that's nutritionally void as well but it's to replace it with something that's going to contribute to your diet i want to touch on vegans and vegetarians we have a lot of listeners who are vegan and vegetarians and they tend to have more nutritional gaps and maybe sometimes the mediterranean diet maybe in the form of the proteins doesn't super lean towards them so much what can they do to enhance their quality of nutrition when they have slightly less options than us who eat meat have. I think to be honest, if 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 you've got a mental health uh, problem and you're vegan or vegetarian, that worries me because it's a there's a possibility. I don't want to say that it's absolutely definitely, but there's a possibility that the reduction or elimination of your DHA and EPA in those diets may be contributing to poor mental health. Um, the absence of B12, the difficulty of absorbing or getting a good, um, a good uh, bioavailable iron is a problem. Uh, choline is, a, is something that you're likely to miss in a vegan vegetarian diet. So if you are absolutely against, and I don't want to get into a big debate about the ethics of this and the climate change things, but I do want to say it's complicated. It's not a black and white issue. Um, there are ethical issues associated with of if we were to all go um, vegan and eliminate meat from our diet entirely, that would be a problem Imagine and not all the sustainable. Animals running around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. It would not be sustainable. Um, uh, and and the debate around climate change is also a complicated one. So I I want to acknowledge that side of it, that it's not a black and white issue. Um, so if you're, but if you, for, you know, if you absolutely refuse to eat some fish, um, very hard to get EPA and DHA out of a, veg, a ve- vegan vegetarian diet, flaxseed, um, walnuts, chia seeds, etc. They, they do have omega-3 fatty acids, but they're in the form of ALA, not necessarily EPA and DHA. You can get a bit of that from seaweed. I did uh, the math on this. You'd have, in order to get the equivalent of what you get out of, say, 85 grams of salmon, you'd have to eat 1.3 kilograms of seaweed. So that is an enormous difference, and that would actually be probably pretty hard to do. So if you're on, if, if the idea of eating some fish or some grass-fed 
beef is out of the question, you got to have to supplement. You've got to supplement and you've got to supplement with your EPA, DHA. This is for people who are struggling though. If you're absolutely healthy, you're having no health issues whatsoever, then this may not apply to you. But if you are one of um, many vegetarians or vegans who may be struggling with mental health issues, and that's what the data show, is that uh, supplementing with a really good quality source of looking for high EPA DHA content. It's going to cost you um, and you need to be looking for one to get taking in about one to two grams of EPA DHA with higher amount of EPA. So that's my big worry is, is the omega-3 fatty acid content of the vegan uh, diet. And on top of that is the not being able to get some of those essential nutrients like like the like B12. So you'd have to supplement with um, with those as well. So my, I, I it's it's a diet that worries me, um, and I know it's increasing. Uh, my and part of the worry is that you know this idea of plant based. I see it all over the place now, and it's it's just you know stamped on ultra processed products it's like if you just look up the the and that worries me it really worries me because people think that oh it's plant-based then it's good for me and it's good for the environment and it's ethical da, 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 da. and you kind of go well actually it's probably it could very well have been imported from china and purchased and can fabricated in a fabric factory there and then and then flown to your country of wherever you happen to be so let's not you know you know, ignore that problem. Um, and it's, uh, you know, the, the, uh, ingredients of say the impossible burger are really right, really downright, um, scary. So you need to be careful. Eat, you, you know, it's not just about being plant-based. I, I probably have, have ranted far too much about <laughs> this really quite sensitive topic. It is a sensitive topic, but I think it's fair to express an opinion that's probably not heard too much and i think that a lot of people rush to some of the documentaries about you know climate change and all these different types of things but as you alluded to you know when you look at 100 grass-fed beef on the back of your burger packet that came just from a farm 50 miles away versus exactly. your ingredients like you said got sourced from japan flown over took 10 different forms of transport to get to your plate it's yeah it's a it's a conversation not the one we're kind of tapping to or solve today but definitely something to be aware of but as you mentioned supplementation seems key for those who are going to find themselves in a any probably and this is the thing with vegan vegan vegetarian it's not that there's necessarily i would say an issue with either of those approaches it's anything where there's specific restriction so even if you exactly. are on a completely meat based if you know if you're on the carnival diet you're probably going to miss out on some type of nutrients for example so it's not to yeah demonize vegans and vegetarians it's anyone who places restrictions on their diets right and i, I by no means not saying that you were vegan demonizing vegans and vegetarians but i i know and i and that's why i was very careful to say if you're healthy and you're fine then great you're doing well on that and that diet is suiting you my worry is that it's not going to suit everybody and so that's my concern and that people may end up feeling very unwell on those diets and not know that that was that's actually contributing to their health issues and so that's why i think we need to have an open conversation about it but i do get um you know i've had i've been accused of you know being paid for by the meat industry just because i you know that i i'm careful you know that i'm i i say well actually the the data i'm just a messenger the data are 
if, you know, it, it's difficult to do this kind of research on which diet is best for you. But if you look at it sort of in totality, the data are, are, are suggestive of a little bit of meat is probably good for people who are struggling with mental health issues. That's all I want to, you know, so, so I've just got, I, I can't ignore those data. So I can't just say, okay, well, we're going to dismiss that and not talk about it because they, it, this, the, that seems to be what keeps emerging. Um, and that we know that fish, for example, is very important for our brain health as well. So, you know, just, I just want to acknowledge that, that research and that we, you, somehow we've got to found, find a way forward. What I think has really, really been an amazing part of the, the vegan uh, narrative is that we really need to be looking at how we treat animals. And so that's, you know, shifting and learning how to uh, raise, be ethical, raise ethically formed our animals is really an important um, movement and, 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 you know, do credit to to those players who have, have hopefully are, sh are shifting that um, in the right direction. Absolutely. And I give credit to my listeners. They're usually very open-minded. So for those who are maybe on a vegan vegetarian diet, who are maybe experiencing some mental health challenges, I trust that they might be open to consider that. But there will also be people who are like, this is very, very important to me from a purely ethical standpoint, and I can't see myself doing that. So when it comes down to the supplementation route, what are we looking at is like, for example, when it comes to the EPA and DHA, how are we going to be getting that in supplementation form? Yeah, so that's where I said you need to just be, you have to be a really good consumer and you need to read the the bottles. You need to spin them around and have a look at how much EPA and DHA is actually in there because the really cheaper quality ones have a very low amount. And I've done a lot of um, hanging out in, in uh, health food stores, reading these labels and getting quite educated on this topic. So you really need to turn around. And so some of the really great quality ones, you only need to take one or two of those tablets, you know, capsules a day in order to get an adequate one to two grams of EPA DHA. But um, for the lower quality ones, you need to be taking more like six to eight. So you kind of have to, if you want to hit that sort of target. So you just need to be a really um, informed consumer. And then when it comes to the, you know, supplements with vitamins and minerals, and if you're you're simply looking for an ins something with insurance, then just go for a good quality one. Um, and but if you're looking for one that's actually got research to back it, then I, we've I've documented and written about them all in the Better Brain, an entire chapter devoted to what supplements have actually been studied. And what you learn is that there's very few. And so. Um, and that's probably because there's no money in it. Like, you know, you can, if you can sell your product without having to do any research on it, then why would you do research? And it's very, you know, it's extremely costly and hard to do. And, you know, <laughs> lots of problems there. So I can understand uh, why supplement companies may not feel the need to do research. Whereas the ones that I've been in, involved with are really um, committed to wanting to change the um, options that are available for people who are struggling with mental health issues. And so they, they supply the vitamin, the, 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 their products for free with a matching placebo so that I can do the research. And just so your listeners know, I don't have any ties. I don't have any ties with the meat industry, but I also don't have any ties with the supplement industry. All of my research has been independently funded. 
Uh, and so I'm completely at arm's length from the companies. They have no control over my research, my data, how I do my studies and how I publish it. Always good to know. And on that note, how do we know the difference between a good quality supplement and a poor quality supplement? Does it purely come down to the amount of the actual ingredient that you want to have in it? Because of due to the beautiful world of marketing, it might say high yeah, quality I ingredients, know. super potency, and all these amazing describing words of this amazing looking tub that actually is, you know, it's like a you know, someone who's dressed up and you pull the part the yeah. dress and it's just a stick man underneath or something like exactly. that. <laughs> so exactly. how do we know the difference between them? And, and Elliot, I think that's a, that's a great question that I don't have a great answer for. You are, because we're interested in bioavailability and you want, so you want to take your minerals in particular such that they've got a good chelate so that they can be absorbed through the gut lining um, if they're not well chelated, then they just go straight through you. How does a consumer know that? That's that's a good question because it's not going to be available. That kind of information isn't going to be on the packet. So that's why I say if you if you're treating something, if you're wanting to use the a vitamin and mineral supplement for it, treating a mental health problem, then I would just say you've got to go with the research, be, the ones that are being researched, because then I can say confidently, we've studied this. Out, it outperformed placebo. Um, we document the side effect profile. We follow up people long term so that we've got all, all of the, those data that are published. And so I'd, I'd have to just say you have to go and look at the research on, on that. Other supplements may very well make a difference, but you're sort of rolling the dice on them on whether or not they're going to make a difference and be helpful to you. So it's t it's a t it's really tough and I'm absolutely sympathetic to the consumers out there who are trying to do something good for themselves and they get faced with the you know they're bombarded with messages that are telling you buy me buy me I'm great and you just don't you really don't know whether or not it's um, going to be effective or not so stick with the research is all, is all I can really say on that on that one yeah I think that's solid advice and I think even if you just do a little bit of extra digging even though you might not get the best answer just going for the first option you see is probably going to lead you to the best marketed product versus the actual best quality product so i think that yeah the advice i would give most people is just to double check a few times compare a few look at the ingredient profile yeah i think the advice is just going to be making sure that people really look into those things and on that note we've discussed a lot about nutrition and supplementation but i think that the world of mental health is as you know a very very complex place to be and one of the biggest things that I've noticed with my personal mental health and a lot of people who I've discussed as well is that talk therapy you know psychologists and all these different methods that are outside the realm of nutrition and outside the realm of pharmaceutical intervention as well seems to be incredibly effective where does that fall into the work that you do how effective do you feel that these things are and would you say that one is more effective than other? Is it down to the individual? Is there 20% of this, 50% of that? Where do you find yourself? You mean how effective are supplements compared to psychotherapy? Is that what you mean? I would say nutrition as a whole compared to something like psychotherapy or cognitive behavioral therapy or any type of um, psychological intervention. Yeah, it, it kind of depends 
it depends on what you're treating because there are some, like when it comes to say ADHD, which I've done a lot of research on, the stimulants are incredibly effective in the short term and nutrition is never going to outperform stimulants for lots of reasons in that short term. Um, but if you were to take it on the entirety of side effects compared to efficacy, then you can start to see that nutrition is going to start, may start to win a little bit because there aren't the side effects. Whereas stimulants, for example, do have come with a pretty heavy load of side effects and long-term effects on growth, for example. So, but if you're looking at that short-term efficacy, that's what I'm saying is that you, you really struggle to find any other intervention that's going to be better than stimulants in that short term. But that's when you're just looking at the issue of efficacy versus the whole picture. Um, when it comes to antidepressants, though, uh, the, there's been now four randomized controlled trials that have, have looked at the Mediterranean-style diet. Um, their level of efficacy is probably equivalent to antidepressants. It's difficult to cross-compare because diet trials aren't blinded. You know when you're eating vegetables and you've been around, you know, randomized to being eating vegetables and fruits. There's nothing that you, you can't hide that from your um, participants. Whereas you can sort of somewhat blind uh, whether or not you're taking an antidepressant or placebo. So it is actually difficult to cross compare. But when I have tried to, you know, I when I have done that, they're all pretty much, you know, uh, uh, the broad spectrum vitamins and minerals, uh, 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 the um, probiotics actually is another intervention for for depression. Your psychotherapy, um, your medication—they all pretty much seem to have a similar overall efficacy. Um, but it's hard, as I said, hard to do sort of that that you know one against the other because of these issues of how the studies are done and that some of them have a blinded and some of them aren't. So. Uh, but overall, you're probably getting similar rates when it comes to the depression, the antidepressant effects of these different interventions. So does that hopefully answer your question? So I, I guess, I mean, I suppose that that means is that uh, given that there's, there's no side effects associated with changing your diet and going Mediterranean style, then you might as well give that a go first to see whether or not that's going to make a difference before you reach for the pill. It does require a huge change and it also requires you to make changes in your lifestyle and your, you know, the foods that you choose to eat at a time when you probably may, well, you may not have the energy in order to make those changes. And that's where, say, for example, supplementation may be really effective uh, way to go first because it's easier than trying to do an overhaul of your diet. And then you might kind of go, wow, if I feel this good on taking a few extra vitamins and minerals, I wonder what would happen if I would change my diet. And that, that's something that I've observed in our research over time. But for some people, um, change of diet, I just want to acknowledge, change of diet may not be sufficient for lots of reasons. Um, and I'll just point to a few of them. One of them is that our, our food supply has gone down in terms of nutritional value for lots of reasons like agricultural practices, the use of glyphosate, climate change. Um, we select foods that are that transport well, don't necessarily um, have a high nutritional value. So there are some uh, challenges with our food environment, even if you're eating a healthy diet. Um, there might be individual factors, genetics, uh, your, the state of your microbiome, um, 
uh, the function of your mitochondria, et cetera, they, there might be some vulnerabilities there that may mean you need some additional nutrients than what you can get out of your diet alone. So that's where supplementation may be, may be useful. So I just want your listeners to kind of know that there are times when supplementation may actually be necessary in order to get all of the nutrients that you need personally um, because of your own individual differences. Yeah, and let's take medication out of the equation for just a moment. And I want to compare the difference between therapy, for example, and genuine sessions where you're going to see a psychologist because of, as you mentioned, there's side effects to taking, you know, X, Y, or Z uh, antidepressant, but I wouldn't say there's many actual side effects other than maybe the money that's taken out of your pocket when it comes to psychology and therapy, or however, if it's, you know, something that's going to help you get out of the place you are, it's the worthwhile investment. For me, it doesn't sit in my mind right now that I could just take a high quality amount of supplements and improve my nutrition yet still have you know potentially all the traumas of my childhood etc all of the things that have impacted me to this day that have made me quote-unquote clinical clinically depressed i'm not using myself as an example here but just trying to put someone who is in a clinically depressed position because of all of the trauma they experienced when they were younger i have a feeling that many are going to be like it's not going to be nutrition and supplementation because I still live with those wounds inside of me. So that's the comparison I would like you to go down as opposed to the antidepressants, for example. Sure. Um, well, I've done a lot of research following traumas. So I've done research on uh, after earthquakes in, in Christchurch, that's where I live, um, after a flood in Alberta, Canada, and after a mosque, a, a, a absolutely atrocious shooting in, a, in two mosques in Christchurch, um, March 15th, 2019. So I have some pretty good data to show that just giving nutrients to people can make a huge impact on their levels of trauma. So, and that's surprising. And it surprised us at how, how effective it was. Um, unless you start to think about uh, it from the perspective of resilience and that we, if your brain needs vitamins and minerals to process trauma, because that's, it's, it, at the end of the day, trauma and your inability to process or your ability to process it is actually chemical reactions. And so in order for those chemical reactions to occur, you need to provide the vitamins and minerals, the essential components of supporting that. So, uh, that I, I think in improving people's resilience, may mean that they're less affected by the effects of trauma. So I, I think that it's a, important to acknowledge that there's a there's some really good biological reasons why having a um, good nutritional uh, environment can support and help people overcome some really difficult times. And one of my worries is that, again, with the current food environment, that we are less resilient. And so we then we're less able to cope with really difficult things that, that come, come at us. Psychotherapy has a place. I'm a clinical psychologist, so by training. So I'm not going to say don't do psychotherapy. Um, it absolutely can be a, a life changing for people to uh, go through psychotherapy. But we also then have to acknowledge that there's never going to be enough therapists out there to treat the number of people who are struggling with uh, psychiatric problems. And that's a conversation in itself. But that model is no longer fit for purpose in that we can't uh, train enough psychologists to be able to do that one-to-one -one therapy. So we do need to have more tools in our toolbox and more options. And I, I guess I just want to encourage those uh, listeners of yours who may think this isn't going to 
uh, necessarily make a difference if you're one of those people who are struggling with trauma to um, be uh, at least um, uh, reassured that we have data that does show that for some people it has made a huge difference for their ability to overcome really difficult situations and um, events and, and, and move through it and not necessarily with any psychological support. So it is possible. But if you are um, in a position where you can access psychotherapy and improve your nutrition at the same time, then I, you know, that's obviously going to be uh, a great, could very well be very beneficial for you. Absolutely. I think that's what many of us forget. It's like, we don't have to take one approach here, right? And I say this to people all the time, there's nothing wrong with in, like, improving your nutrition, improving your sleep, getting outdoors, exercising yeah, and also exactly. then going to our therapy sessions or going to see a psychologist for example and then also yeah upgrading the quality of your nutrition through certain nutrients and supplementation and it can be quite a well-rounded approach my main thing to tell most people is that if you're ever going to look towards pharmaceuticals make sure it's like plan z you know like let's get every single thing that we could possibly do off the list first even if it seems more difficult it's ultimately not just going to mask the issue, you are going to be able to hopefully, I trust that anyone who does all of those things will eventually be able to resolve their issues and have no need to rely on those things that come with many side effects. And ultimately, some people have had profound effects, but I doubt that well, we can actually say that there's no single cure to mental illnesses through pharmaceutical adventures at this moment in time. So it would make sense for me to go down all those other routes first, go through the entire alphabet and only go for Z if it's really last resort. <laughs> exactly. But what, I mean, we, um, over the last 20 years, there has been an explosion of research in all kinds of different areas, as you alluded to, you know, the exercise, getting out there, mindfulness, meditation, um, cryotherapy, there's, you know, getting cold water swims, cold showers, uh, forest bathing. I mean, there's an, there's an enormous opportunity for getting into a better space in terms of our well-being with lots of different interventions. I mean, gratitude, uh, you know, savoring, just journaling. There's a lot of stuff out there. So, um, as you know, it may not, it's not necessarily one size fits all that there's, and it could be the cumulative effect of trying, of, of engaging in a lot of different things. So being socially connected, um, uh, enjoying your environment, um, you know, having plants plants is therapeutic pets etc so there's a lot of there's there's an enormous amount of research in this area and so it's a really hopeful time and as you say then that means that perhaps we can be less reliant on medications as the way forward what a beautiful note to wrap up on julia this has been an amazing conversation where is the best place for people to find you if they want to follow more of the work that you're doing well, fortunately, my name is unique. And so if you just Google me, you can find me on Facebook, your Instagram, Twitter. Um, uh, you can hopefully track down my webpage um, through the University of Canterbury, where it gives lots of information about the research that we've been doing. Um, the Better Brain that I co-wrote with Bonnie Kaplan is a I, I'd like to say is I think it's a really great, fantastic resource um, that goes into great detail about a lot of the things that we talked about today. Um, and then finally, there's a free online course through edX, uh, which is called Mental Health and Nutrition. And it's one of these MOOCs, a mass open online access course that has been running for about a year and a half. Really, really popular. We've had 53,000 people 
uh, take it so far and it's free. Um, and it's certainly available at least until May of 2023. Um, if not for longer, if you want, you can pay a little bit of money to edX and you can get a certificate, but the, the content is the same in the free version as well. So that's a, a really good, great place to go if you want to know more about the interface between mental health and food. Amazing. Thank you so much. So many resources for the listeners to get stuck into if this conversation have sparked their interest. But Julia, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for taking the time. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.